my mom total savings in 1985, my whole family was like a 300 US dollar converted. The flight ticket cost about $200. I'm talking about US dollar. So I have to get another $50. So my mom almost had no money left in her whole life savings. She gave it all. She gave it all to me. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to tell you about the sponsor for this week's episode. AB Jets is a great story and great company. I'm not exactly flying around on private jets during this stage of my life, but if I were, I'd be calling AB Jets. They're one of the safest private air companies in the world. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. AB Jets is one of the largest Lear 60 jet companies in the United States with nonstop access to most destinations around the U.S. Efficient, clean, and easy to work with, AB Jets is an experience that gets you where you need to go on time and with no hassle. Go to abjets.com for more information and book your trip today or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T. This podcast is also brought to you by My Story. If you stop and think about it, are there stories and experiences of someone you love that have been forgotten? If you could, would you go back into time and capture a series of conversations, family memories, and life experiences of someone you love that would be around to keep and share for generations to come? Here, I want you to hear one of our favorite clips from a World War II veteran on D-Day. How come your brother didn't go to Auschwitz? He's lucky he wasn't. He was not caught. They just didn't get him. No. Where no. did like where did he hide? Or what? They didn't. They lived normal life as possible. <laughs> they just didn't come to their house. Yeah. And they right. went to your sister's house. Right. What did right. it feel like that night when you found out? What better way to keep and remember the life of someone you love in their own voice for generations to come? Go to mystorytold.org to learn more. That's mystorytold.org to learn more. Hey everybody, my guest this week has a story that's just nuts. So far in my life, I've yet to meet someone who has overcome more obstacles in their life to become an entrepreneur in the United States and benefit from capitalism and choice. My guest this week is Sandra Jing. Sandra's parents were taken away by Mao Zedong and his Red Party when she was eight. She raised her brother and herself. She witnessed her mother be shamed and punished because her family came from the Black Party. Eventually, she came to the United States when her sister declined the opportunity. Sandra came to Atlanta and worked every job you can imagine, from babysitting to cleaning dishes to working in a warehouse, and she eventually founded her first company, and now she owns three. This is a tell-all episode where you will hear what Mao Zedong's leadership was like in the People's Republic of China, how she went from making $1 a month in China to working in the United States, how she started her first business with no credit and only $4,000, the difficulty of starting your own and how she got through it, why she's using the money she's earned 
to give back, plus much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Sandra Jing. Sandra, good to see you. Nice seeing you, Sam. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. So in your book, I read this line, members of our village would be forced to walk single file through neighboring cities, escorted by the revolution officials as spectators hurled a barrage of abuse, insults, and trash at them as they walked. Can you explain, maybe to me and others listening to this podcast, what exactly that meant or what that was like for you growing up in China in the 1960s? It was a very bad memory for me. I was very little, about eight years old. And my mother, because her family, they were all pretty much all in Taiwan and the United States. Because of that, her family was sentenced to Black family. It means when there is event, my mother would have a big sign on her neck, make a cross saying uh, bad family. And she has to, they will, a couple of times a year, she will be with other people marching on the street and let people watch to show them she was bad person. She belongs to black family. She needs to be punished. From very little at beginning, I didn't understand that. But as it's going, it's getting serious. But I was so little, I didn't have too much memory of my sad feeling at that time. All I need to know is anybody who threw rocks, spit on my mother, I would do some kind of revenge at night. I would either walk into that family. Most of the time, it's a red family. I would curse them. I would physically fight with the people who dare to throw eggs, vegetables, or spit on my mother. So you actually did fight, and you actually did these things for revenge, or you said you thought about doing it one day? I, I actually did it. How old were you when you started doing that? I remember I was eight years old. And then you came to the United States at what age? 21. But there's about 13 years there of, of being eight and seeing this and, and dealing with this. Yes. My mother and my dad, because of their Black family title, most of the time they were sent to revolutionary camp. And there was a five years of time, only me and my brother at home. From when you were eight to 13? Yes. So you raised your family with you and your brother? Yes. I pretty much raised my little brother. Yes. How much younger was he than you? Five years younger. Okay, wow. So he was three years old. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. had to care for a three-year-old when you were eight. Yes. How do you know how to do that? Well, it's at that time, everybody all had kind of similar lifestyle. It, it doesn't matter you're a black family or red family. And we live half clay built home. It's there's no so-called two-bedroom. And half of the house built underground. And it's all by clay. Uh, because there was like a rain, our roof was covered with um, sunflower branches and leaves. 
uh, of that. So every family has almost same style of the lifestyle. So I learned from very little. I have to work. I have to raise chicken. I have to cook. I have to do all the work from very young age. That's what my mothers told me. I started cooking when I was like a four years old, my mother says. And she said she has to teach me in order to be survived. Is your mom still alive today? Yes, she is 90 years old. And my dad passed away last year. I'm sorry that he passed away. Was there a point in your mom's life that you know of where she might have processed that abuse that she experienced that you referenced that you saw her having a sign around her neck? Well, to give you an example, right now there is a, a famous TV show going on in China. It's called A Lifelong Journey. And also, I think Disney World has purchased that whole TV show. It has 50 episodes and it's called A Long Life Journey. That's exactly the time it happened during my age, my sister, my family, exact the same thing, the same story. You know, my mom, what she did? Normally, you want to watch it, right? Because like I watch, I cry all the time. Yeah. It bring me my memory back. You know what my mother say? She can't watch it? Yes. She told me and my sister, she says, this movie, this TV show bring me all the bad memories of what is the past. She said, I refuse to watch it. So me and my mom, we live in the same house. Just the last night I was watching. I said, mom, come over, just watch it for a couple of things. She says, I don't want to watch it. You know, those bring me, I told you so many times, I don't want to watch it. It make me cry. I, he says, I'm already 90 years old. Why well, have to cry again? I want to stay away from all this negative energy. I only want to live in happy life. We might come back to that. For those of us that might not be fully aware of the difference between Mao Zedong and his rise before 1960, but then also the Red Party and the Black Party. Can you explain that? To my understanding, Black family belongs to those who their parents were pretty much rich. It means if you're a business owner, if you're a professor, if you're doctors, if you were musicians, if you were famous author for any of those you will be like, oh, in other words, you're, if you're a middle-class people, if you have family member in other state, in other part of the world, for example, in Taiwan, in the United States, you all belongs to black family. Red family reverts to the groups who they are born poor. They didn't have a money. Their parents or past three generations, they didn't have anything. They were farmers, workers, blue collar, factory people, and their history for three generations were very clean, means they were all poor. So you all belongs to red family. Like my husband, his family is... Red family. Yes, because yeah. they were poor. They were from other cities. They didn't have any house belongs to themselves. They didn't have any money. They don't, do not have any relatives in Taiwan or specifically in the United States. But Mao Zedong was from the Red Party. So then when he came to rule or became into power, it flipped. And that's why the Black Party and people like your mother, 
and families that had wealth or moved to Taiwan and the United States, et cetera, they were targeted and oppressed and persecuted, I guess. Is that fair? Uh, I think that's fair. You know, I was still very little when Red Revolutionary happened. So I didn't really quite understand how did it happen, what is thinking of Mao Zedong. I have no idea. So I'm not really politically involved. I only speak to you the facts. Yes, ma'am. Are things like this still going on today? No. It was stopped in 1976. So I read a a quote, and this describes you a little bit later, but it said to be a female entrepreneur was rare at the time. To be a minority female entrepreneur was even more rare. And to be a successful one, well, that was almost unheard of. From the moment I set foot in America, I knew I would have to work harder, longer, and faster than everyone around me just to get a seat at the table. I was headstrong and outspoken. Does that sound right? Yes. (laughs) So before maybe talking about business and entrepreneurship, let's take that headstrong and outspoken piece. So when you were eight years old, your parents were taken from you. You had to raise your three-year-old baby brother. You did not leave China until you were 21. Can you describe any other parts of your childhood or teenage years that were maybe formative to the success and skill sets that you have today that is a part of kind of who you are and how things started? I was raised in a very poor environment. We didn't have a water. I have to walk two miles to get a water from the river. We have to set it in the tank. I have to learn how to cook. It's not really have a gasoline, have a gas, you turn it on a stove, you can cook. I have to start by picking up the vegetable from the land. We didn't have vegetable, fruits, or rice, or meat off the shelf. We have to, if we want to eat meat, you have to kill a chicken. Well, wow. If you want have vegetable, you need to go to the land, our public land, you have to get it. You have to pick it yourself. Right? If you need to have a rice, you, have, you can't get it. You only given a certain amount of rice or flowers per person. Everything is by ticket. Everything was by ticket. So I learned to do everything with my hand, with my feet, and I can't. Just talk about it. The food will come to you. You said, I can't talk about it. The food will come to you. What do you mean? You can't say, say honey, get something from your refrigerator. There's no service. There's no option of ordering anything or telling anybody to do anything. Correct. Hmm. There's no such a restaurant existing at that time. It says, okay, let me order some food. There's no such a thing in my town. You have one son, right? I have one son. Do you have any other children? No. And you have three businesses Correct. in Atlanta. Yes. How have you been a mom and a parent and raised your son and tried to prepare your, your children, your family for the next generation when options, accessibility, convenience, all these things are drastically different for you as a mom here now today than what they were for your childhood? It's very tough. Uh, when I had my son, my husband already determined when he was getting older, he needs to take over the business. To plan that, 
we had sent my son when he was two years old back to China. So he stayed in China, in Xinjiang, where I was born for 10 years. I was very sad. I cried all the time. Why did he have to go back to China when he was two? What did he have to learn there to, that y'all felt was important for him to take over the business? There's two reasons my husband wants him to learn. First is Chinese language. Chinese language is almost the toughest language in the world. And my husband always said he is Chinese. It doesn't matter where he was born. He has to speak a good Chinese. Second, he has to learn the hardship, the tough life in Xinjiang. There's no running hot water. There's no air conditioning. There is no heater at that time, even though in 1996, the life in China, especially in Xinjiang, was not as good as today. So there was two reasons for him to learn. Who did he live with? He lived with my sister. Why didn't she come to the United States when you brought your mother? Um, she can't get a visa. She had a try like a three times and she was rejected. Is that sad for her? It was very sad because when, when Alex was 10 years old, we won't brought Alex back to have education here. And uh, we, tried, we tried and she won't be rejected. So when Alex was 12 years old, we have to bring him back. And because he, my sister pretty much raised Alex when he was little. I read a comment that you made that school, work, travel, food, the government controlled it all. You've talked a little bit about you know, the food piece and the lifestyle piece. Is there anything else there that you can share that could help us understand what you meant by that statement? Yeah, everything at that time, pretty much everything is by ticket. Every family will get ticket for rice ticket, flour ticket, meat ticket, oil ticket, clothes ticket, or fabric ticket, shoes ticket, Everything given by ticket means that you have to have coupon. Without those coupons, you can't just go to the market, get something. You can't. So everything is controlled by government. Everything has to be distributed by, to you by this coupon or ticket, whatever that's called. It. What about travel? How is that controlled? Pretty much you are not allowed to travel. So... Until 21 years old, that was the first time I took an airplane. To the United States? Yes, to the United States. And traveling, um, my mother, at th- age of 13, one summer, my mother was allowed to come home. So she took our three children, traveled some part of China. That was the first time in my life I able to ride car or bus and ride a train to Shanghai, Beijing, and the Shenyang, and we went to three big cities. Did you have any dreams as a kid? I had a dream after my aunt came to visit her sister. She was a professor, right, in the United States? She was a professor in Georgia State, and my, my uncle was professor in Georgia Tech. So your first dream as a child really didn't happen until you met your aunt? Correct. Because you couldn't dream? Well, I don't remember all the dreams. The only thing I remember is I'm, I, I want to make money. When I saw my aunt, I see how rich she was. I says, when I grow up, I will make as much as she does. Was she very, very rich or was she just 
you know, middle class or upper middle class for the uh, United she's States. She's very rich. Yeah, she's very rich. So you saw her, you saw the way she looked or you felt the way that you were around her. You heard how she talked to you, those things. And that's when you had this dream or this desire where you wanted to be rich. Is that true? That's true. When she first visited us, she let us stay in the hotel. That was first time in my life I see hot water coming from faucets. Was that in Shanghai or Beijing? No, it was it was in Beijing. Okay. I saw hot water. I see there's a room ACs. I saw the carpet and I see the food on the table without actually cooking on them. How old were you then? I remember I was, yeah, I was 14. And you didn't leave for another seven years. Correct. Did you give up hope at any point? No. Why? I had a job as I went to English school to learn English. So I was working for an oil company for like eight months and I was busy. In my life, I always want to make money to support my family. Did you drop out of school? No, uh, I graduated from high school and I did not pass, pass for college. You did not pass? I did not pass. How old were you when you graduated high school? 18 years old. And then you went and worked for the old company? Yes, until 19 years old. Was that like on a rig out in the ocean or was that on land? It was on land. It was another small city in China. It's called the Kelamai. It was well known for oil drilling. Uh, actually, I, I messed that a little. From 18 to 19, I went to an English school. I learned English for one year. So you were making good money working for the old company? Uh, good money means I'm making about five US dollars, which was very good. Per hour? Per, no, 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 whole month. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, but you had that momentum or you had that experience. So that was a positive thing for you at the time. And so that's why maybe those years when, after you first wanted to come to the United States or be like your aunt, when you were 14, that's why maybe there was some excitement going on in your life at that time. Is that true? That's true. Absolutely. Can you imagine when I first graduated from this English school, uh, my first Month salary is one U.S. dollar. Jeez. One dollar. That was when I was 19. So when I was hired by this company, they offered me five dollars. That was a lot to me. But I still remember my aunt told me, she says, Sandra, if you, I'm not Sandra, she called me my Chinese name. If you work hard in the United States, you probably would be making five dollar an hour. She gave you that hope. Yes. I says, $5 an hour? If I work 365 days, how much money am I going to make? I was like totally so excited. I said, $5. Every day, I remind myself, $5 and one hour. What if I don't sleep? What if I just continue working? How much money will we make? Right. I know when you were 31, you met your husband now. Yes. Your body, you were experiencing a lot of pain. And... You know, so a lot of this I'll come back to here in a little bit, but you felt from the way that I read it, almost burned out and the stress or the pressure had caught up with you. Is that true? That's absolutely true. I had yeast um, infection coming back every month. I had a backache and uh, I constantly lost my voice and I didn't know what happened. I was frustrated. So what have you learned about growing up in the conditions that you've described making $1 a month and then being so excited 
when you made $5 a month and then being told by your aunt that you can make that per hour. And then you, you go on this trajectory. You work very hard, but then you hit this breaking point in your 30s. And I know you got divorced because you felt that you needed to make a choice about the kind of family you wanted to raise and the kind of life you wanted to live from a work standpoint. Is there anything that you can share about growing up in such adverse and oppressive conditions, living and growing up, taking care of your three-year-old brother, no electricity, no running water, being given a coupon for any type of food, but then experiencing opportunity and income because of your work and then hitting a breaking point and then maybe what you've seen or the choices you've made on the back end of that to try to do things in the most appropriate way you can for yourself and for your family? I have never regretted a single day what I have done. I always appreciate the tough life in childhood. When I was so stressed out, one day I was praying, even though at that time I didn't have a face until I met my current husband. He's the one teach me there's God over there. Before that, I did not. But one day I just asked him, I says, God in Chinese, I don't know why I'm so uncomfortable. I'm facing divorcing. My physical body has so much problems. I'm so stressed out. Why am I doing the wrong way? If God, you hear me, can you direct me the right directions? You know what? One week after I pray, he was in my way. I met my husband. I go meet him. Uh, to make sure short, he showed to me, I can do the self-healing myself. He says, there is a meditation called whole body prayer. I will teach you so you can be your own doctor and you won't be afraid of physical sicknesses. He says, you've been going through a lot of stress, anxiety. Your emotion kill your body. It's not really your body kill itself. You have to learn to love your body. You have to learn how to take care of yourself. You have to learn to be your own doctors. You can do all this yourself. So within months after I do whole body prayer, everything back to be perfect. So you're saying if somebody doesn't make a switch, the same things that motivated you to survive and come to the United States and the same things that cause you to work so hard, get your education, start out working in the restaurant industry, washing dishes, working your way up, eventually go and start your own company, then two other companies after that. It would have broken you if you didn't learn a new way of living. Is that fair? That's fair. Is that a common trend with a lot of people that have immigrated from a place of oppression or struggle in a way that a lot of us wouldn't understand to more of a free place where you can, where you're not limited on how much you can eat or where you can go or all those things. Is that a common trend that you've seen? Yes, I see. Using myself as an example, when I went to Georgia State, there were only five Chinese students from mainland China. I was only one had my own business. Everybody else, I'm talking about lady-wise, girl, everybody else go get married. And they did not have their businesses. So I had a chance to get together with four of them. I asked them, I says, look, 
you guys same position. Why don't you guys do this and do that? That says Sandra, you're the only one being successful. Means have your own business. This is not everybody's thing. That says I came here. I can't like you. You have to work ten years. You got to have green card. We have to get married in order to support our daily life. We are not like you. We don't. This is very tough. So I believe most of immigrate. We came to this United States. We didn't have a green card. We didn't have legal status at that time to work. In other words, here as citizen of United States, you are you can choose the jobs. As immigrate, we cannot choose what we want to do. We have to get a job, any job we can, to make us survive. That's huge difference. I've read in your book the word calling. What is that like to have a choice on the type of work that you have? Where if you have a passion or a curiosity for something, to go after it. Versus being told what you can do, especially if you're working eight, 10, 12, 15 hours or however many hours a day. Well, I feel it's a luxury when you have a choice to choose what you do. But so many people don't understand the luxury could also kill you. That's what I see. So much people did not make it is because they got too much choices. They're overthinking all the time instead of taking action plan. They always complain. They're always saying, you did not provide me this opportunity. You did not give me this chance. To the end, it is individually. Who does not want wants to work hard? So to me, I have opportunity to come to the United States. This is a freedom of country. I see the gold everywhere. It means opportunities. But Individual like me, I have to work. I have to work so many long hours. I never complain. Compared to the life I had it, this is a luxury. Yeah, working 10 hours is a luxury. I mean, come on, this making $5 at <laughs> that time could be $8. That's a lot of money. Why people complain? This is a good life. You, all you can use your hand to earn it. I read that the school system in China at least what I read, so this might be accurate, it might not be. You're going to school 11 months out of the year, and you're going to school from 8 until 5 p.m. Is that true? When I went to school, the school system was not there. So as when I was younger, we, we need to go take a classes in the morning, and we have to work in the afternoon. Okay. You're talking about my time, you're talking currently. Currently. Currently, I'm not 100% sure. I know the class, they have four classes in the morning, four classes in the afternoon. And each class should be 45 minutes. And, and then you'll be assigned a lot of homework at home. Given your experience growing up in China, given your experience taking care of your brother, given experience of all the things you figured out, given your experience thinking about the way the educational system was or is handled in China, given your experience now living in the United States, living in a big city like Atlanta, having a family, are you concerned about the future of the United States from an employment standpoint because of any differences between education, work ethic, 
or an elect from an economic standpoint? Or is that not a concern of yours? And you think that you are optimistic about the continued growth and development of society here in the United States? No, I have a big concern. I am worried about American educational system. We don't teach much discipline. We give them too much freedom of choice. I'm talking about way too much. So our children always choose what they want to do. They disrespect their teacher. They disrespect their parents. They disrespect elderly. This is a totally contrast in China. When we raised up, even up today, first thing we need to listen is the teacher. Second, parents. Third, elderly. Our parents' word are law. The American kids always saying to their parents, what do you know? You know nothing about what I'm doing. I don't want to listen to you. What is discipline? There's no such a discipline in our school system. I'm talking about compared to China. I'm worried. For example, we have higher young generation in our business. We also have a matured group in our business. The biggest problem of young people, they don't come to on time. They don't want to work. You tell them you come to work 9.30, they won't show up until 10.30. And they call you every other day, find an excuse, say, oh, my grandma's sick, my sister's sick, oh, my mom is blah, blah, blah. I mean, ended up, I have one employee, we were joking, your grandma being dead for three times. <laughs> That's an excuse, oh, my, my grandma passed away. But texting you, you know, we're frustrated. In other hand, we have those mature employees. You never worry about it. And big difference is you have to talk to this younger generation saying, hey, what can I do for you to help you arrive on time? To help you, we have to give bonus, like $100 bonus to the young people saying, if you show up one month on time at 930, I'll give you $100 bonus. It never happened before. Am I worried? Yes. That's biggest concern I have it for the system in the school. So you have a, a restaurant equipment supply company, right? And then also a furniture supply company for the hospitality industry. And then you also have an event center in Atlanta. Is that correct? Correct. Have these challenges caused you to not grow any of these companies at the rate that you could because of these issues? Yes. Uh, the employee issues. We can't find right people. If we would have enough people, my manufacturer can grow very big proportion. Actually, we have already purchased a, another building in Morrow, Georgia. We're supposed to open a new store last year, this year. But you know what? Lack of employment, lack of people, lack of a right employee, a right person. So we have decided to postpone to the right time until we find qualified employees. So is it these things that you're referencing, you're referencing like structure and discipline and personal responsibility, all those things. Are you saying, is there a void in the family unit or is it more of a system problem that's creating these things that you referenced? 
I really feel from a big picture of it, it's a structure and affecting our individual family a lot. For example, in China, when you say teacher, you have to bow to your teacher. You can never call your parents their name. But here, I hear the kids calling the dad name in China. If you dare to do that, you're whipped. What if you have bad parents in China? That's a good question. You know what? I think everybody's past has been set by God. And if I would have a bad parents, it could mean that I would never have a chance coming to the United States. I would never have a chance to make it what I have today. But as a person, I feel my talents, my strengths, my skill was set inside me when I was born. It doesn't matter what kind of family I would be, I will still be a righteousness person. I will be responsible. I'll be honest. I'll be working hard. That's being built there. I guess what you're, you're describing here, and I've heard this described the way, you know, the Chinese government operates. So I, I understand a lot of things the way you described it through how you talked about the differences in the family structure. But I guess what you're saying, like, if you're growing up in an environment where there's less freedom or less choice and, you know, you bow to a teacher or you're never allowed to call your parents, what, by their name or their first name? By their name. So there's a, a very much more of a hierarchical structure of respect, humility. But, but I asked if from that system itself, if the family is oppressive or abusive or whatever, you're simply saying that there's a higher power that would help anyone or yourself get through that situation regardless, and you still feel that that sense of structure and discipline and respect is better than a more independent culture and society and choice and potentially even disrespect at times than what we have here in the United States. Is that fair? a fair summary? That's very fair. For example, when I was eight years old, I told you my parents was not home. Do we just can't live ourselves? No, our neighbors, our village of people, everybody come to my house helping me and my brother. It still exists in China. When a, one family is in trouble, other neighbors going to come to help. So there's more community, more people chipping in, supporting each other. Yes, there's no such a thing as about lawsuit in China. You rarely hear that lawsuit. means if you spend, spend some time at a family, you got injured. You are not going to sue in the family who support you. Do you like it that way? You think that's a better way to live? I absolutely would. For example, today, if there's somebody falling down, you, I mean, that's what I learned in Georgia State, okay? To share your story, the first time I took class in Georgia State, when I read the, the law book, I raised my hand. I says, when there's somebody drowning in China, people is going to jump into the river to grab it. Here in the United States, that says, can you swim? If you don't swim, you can't save the people. You have to call 911. You have to call police. You have to do this. You can't just help them. I mean, at the beginning, I was so against it. I said, how come you, everybody needs to try to help? For example, they told me, you don't allow your friend come to your home to wash their jeans in the dish, in the uh, wash. And uh, if their jeans broken, they can't sue you because they were using your 
washes at your home. I mean, that was totally insane to me. I said, how could that happen? You know, how could you do that? Is that why it was very hurtful in your book when you talked about when you and your husband were sued because of the organization that he had and those people that, you know, came at you in a way that you felt like was not a fair representation of the service and relationship that you had with these people that you were close with? Yes. And um, I got a sued two weeks ago, not sued, uh, uh, by one of my employees filed a uh, complaint against me saying, I just, I discrimination people, you know, I'm just like, oh my God, suing China is huge, but here it looks like a, it's very common. So when I get my attorney, the first thing he asked me, he says, how many times you've been sued for this kind of case, discrimination case? I say, well, I believe this is the first time. And actually this is the second time. I remember in 1992, three, I got sued by a fellow for discrimination and uh, 30 years later, I got sued again for somebody, a discrimination again. So the attorney says, uh, yeah, good luck. Uh, big company got sued every other day. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick pause here from the show and hear a word from one of our sponsors. After that, we'll get back to the show. Do you want to make efficient use with your time? Now more than ever, traveling hassle-free is harder to find. AB Jets is one of the safest private air companies in the world with impeccable service with nonstop access to most destinations around the USA. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. Bypass the hassle and get an AB Jets jet card that gets you 10 or 25 hour flight options that makes your experience hassle-free. AB Jets carries up to eight passengers and is one of the largest Lear 60 operators in the U.S. Go to abjets.com for more information or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S to travel on your own terms. This podcast is also brought to you by My Story. If you stop and think about it, are there stories and experiences of someone you love that have been forgotten? If you could, would you go back into time and capture a series of conversations, family memories, and life experiences of someone you love that would be around to keep and share for generations to come? Here, I want you to hear one of our favorite clips from a World War II veteran on D-Day. How come your brother didn't go to Auschwitz? He was lucky he, wasn't, he was not... Cold. They just didn't get him. No. Where no. did like where did he hide? Or what? They didn't. They lived normal life as possible. <laughs> they just didn't come to their house. Yeah. And they right. went to your sister's house. Right. What did right. it feel like that night when you found out? What better way to keep and remember the life of someone you love in their own voice for generations to come? Go to mystorytold.org to learn more. That's mystorytold.org to learn more. I read a comment that you said, it was describing your childhood. In spite of all that was stacked against us, life wasn't unhappy in that little clay village. Our community was strong and we leaned on each other. My outlook was like any child, carefree. Is that true? That's true. 
Is it still true today? Yes. When you think about that or you think about other seasons of life that have been really hard, have you always maintained a sense of happiness or have you ever been really upset or depressed when you're in adverse circumstances? Uh, most of the time, I should say 99% of time, I'm always happy. I'm a happy person like my mom. My mom went through so tough time in her life, but you look at her, she's only looked like 60. She had a baby face. I think I had a good gene of her. I always stay very positive. When the things come up, I'm never afraid to, to being challenged. In other words, I always feel anything appears, we just need talk. Do I ever had a time I was depressed? Yes. Like this time I got sued again. I was very disappointed and I was not able to sleep for three nights because I just don't get it. Why? So, yes. When you say you're not afraid of being challenged, what does that mean? It means some people, when something coming up, people do not want to find solution. They want to hide. They want to escape. They won't stay away from the problem. For example, my son is that way. When he have a, a thing is coming, he just want to stay away from it. He just want to run away. He want to have a travel. I'm just opposite. When I have a problem, I solve the problem first and then go travel. When did you learn that? I believe I learned it from a very young age. Because nobody is going to help me to cook. I have to do for myself. I know you said it was a dream of yours to make money when you met your aunt. Would you say you were the majority or the minority of people that wanted to leave China and go to Taiwan or Japan or the United States at that time? Honestly, I have no idea. I think most of people wants to make money. It should be majority of groups wants to go a rich country. Is it still that way today or has it changed because of the economic? I think it's changed. I have, as far as I know, I know some of my friends went back to China. They don't want to come stay in the United States. Really? Yes. Why is that? Uh, that says they have better opportunities right now in China. They also can make as much as money in China. Do you ever regret staying in the United States? And Do you wish you went back to China? No, I enjoy here. I grow, I, I pretty much, this is my country now. I'm the US <laughs> I hear you. No, I, I love Atlanta. I love United States. It is this country who raised me, who gave me the opportunities to do what I have today. Yes, ma'am. So you, when you were 21 or around that age, you talked about your aunt a little bit ago and her name is Mi Ying Wu. Is that correct? Correct. So she was able to sponsor one person. And technically, she was supposed to sponsor your older sister to go to the United States, but your older sister had fallen in love, and she didn't want to leave. And then, so you were next in line. Is that correct? Correct. What'd that feel like at the time? I feel like a, a surprise, because my whole family preparing my sister go to the United States. He was, she was five years older than I am. And suddenly, one day, my mother call me in a long distance since I was working oil company. She says, hey, you probably need to come home soon. We have decided you need to go to the United States. I said, wow. And she says, you have to go. I said, okay. So you quit your job and just came home? 
Yes. Can you quit your job when you were working on the oil rigs? Yes. What'd you do? Just go up and tell them, hey, I got to go and you left? No, we just need to tell my office manager that I had opportunity in the United States and they totally agree, totally accept it. And everybody sent me their blessing. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was wonderful party. They sent me so many good stuff. Really? It was good. Yes. Do you think your mom ever regrets not leaving when she had the opportunity in 1949? Uh, I asked these questions to her a couple of times. And um, she, yes, she did, actually. She did admit it. She says, I was only 16 years old. I should have followed my parents come to, United, come to Taiwan and come to the United States. Do you think that had an influence on you and you didn't even realize it? I didn't even realize that. But she might have raised you in a way to have that strong, stubborn personality that you described. Is that true? Yes. And you came to the United States with, what, $50 in your pocket? Yes. And half of that, or that was half of your mom's total savings. Is that right? It was my mom's total savings in 1985. My whole family uh, was like a 300 US dollar converted. The flight ticket cost about $200. I'm talking about US dollar. So I have to get another $50. So my mom almost had no money left in our whole life saving. She gave it all. She gave it all to me. So then you flew to Atlanta, and that's where you started working and going to school at Georgia State. Is that right? Yes. The second day I landed, I told my aunt, because I still remember she told me $5. So I says, I need to work. She says, uh, why don't you start working as babysitter? It's paid $2.50. It's not a lot, but $2.50 is a lot to me. I say, yes, I take it. And you couldn't speak English. I hardly speak English, even though I went to study English for one year. I hardly speaking English back then in 1985. And so you were working for families and not speaking English. Correct. What was that like? Uh, I feel it was fun when I take care of the babies, children's. I'm, I'm, I was babysitting. They teach me. So when I say something, I always have dictionary. I, I use it word by word. So the kids were saying, okay, this is what you need to say. I feel this is very helpful to my English. I pick up very quickly. What kind of advice do you give or after you've experienced the business success that you've had? There's a line in your book that says you're forced to choose survival over dignity and no job is beneath you. Has that ever left you? It's always weighs in my heart. I think my biggest strength in my life is I'm very humble. I went through so much in my life. I worked with so many people. And I realized today is how you respect other people. Because respect to me is number one key to be successful. When you respect people, you will be taking care of other people as well. And second, responsibilities. You do your job right. You will be rewarded. I always believe it. So when I f find my first job, a second job in the United States, I always tell the people who interview them, who interview me, I always say, you don't need to pay me. Don't pay me. Let me work for free. Let me work until you feel I'm qualified. 
I did that with attorney office, with the metal company, with uh, in the restaurant, in the school, in the sanitary, in the lab, everywhere. If I can find job, uh, that's same thing I would tell them. How many different jobs did you have? Uh, at least a dozen. Why would you leave? Because um, I want to find a better paid so I can make more money to pay the tuition for Georgia State. You know, I was a out-of-state student. I have a pay in 1985, $1,800 per quarter. Yeah. It means that I have to make $800 minimum. $7,200 a year, right? Yes. And I have to calculate it so well how to make that much money to sponsor myself. Because my parents didn't have money. They can't send to me. I didn't, I, I didn't have a green card. I never knew how to apply for student loan. All my thinking is I have to work hard. I have to make money to pay my tuition in order to keep me going in the United States. Was there ever a job that you wanted to quit? Yes, I was working in attorney office for about a month. That was the only job that I was fired instead of I quit. Why were you fired? Uh, because I make, um, <laughs> I type very slow and I realized my detailedness was not good. He told me, fill up all this form and I couldn't do it right. Even though I worked so hard, I still make a mistake. So he gave me a warning for three times. And the last time he says, you know, I like you. You're a great person. You work hard, but you are not what I expected. Did you take it personally? No. Why not? Because I knew that's my problem. You knew that there was other things you were good at. I didn't know. I only know attorneys to be a, a his assistant is not good enough because my English is a problem, was a problem, big problem for him. I can't spell it right. But I guess what you're saying is it didn't discourage you. No. Is it because you, you knew that there was other jobs that you could do that you could do well? Yes. So after that, I had a chance to work in a restaurant equipment company. And that's where, that's where you did sales for about six years. I was initially working in the warehouse. I worked in a warehouse for two years, doing packing, UPS shipping, LTL, unload container. And then I was promoted to purchasing person. Right. And purchasing person, I've been promoted to a salesperson. How soon after that until you started your own company? Um, that was a six years I was working there. And then after starting my own business. So you worked up your way through that company into sales and then you started your own. And that was roughly six years. Correct. And you started your own because somebody saw something in you and said, hey, you could do this on your own. Is that right? Correct. And one of my customers, he came to buy some stuff and I serviced to him. And one day he walked to me. He says, Sandra, I think you should start your own business. I said, my own business? Are you joking me? I don't even know how to open business. I says, no, I cannot do it. He says, yes, you can. I says, no, I can't. He says, Sandra, I'm telling you, you have the potential. I said, how do you know? He said, I just knew it. So a couple of weeks later, I says, okay, I agree. So does this get back to some, the relationship with God, the way that you framed it where things happen? That you didn't see? Yes. I mean, that's, it sounds like you weren't thinking about it. You didn't even see your own ability to do it. Somebody just came in out of the blue and saw something in you and told you, and then you just 
decided to roll with it. Is that true? That's true. Does that still happen to you in life? Yes. I always do things by my instant. When I do things, I don't overthinking too much. It's how I feel. How I feel the things when there is problems is I would have a solution right away. I always believe everybody has some kind of spiritual connections one way or the other or talents. Everybody has different talents. Like some people, for example, one of my friends in school, when he read a book, he just read it one time he can remember. And I could read it 10 times. I, I don't quite remember, but he works in federal government now for, um, for something. But he can't run the business. When I asked him to come to help me to wash a, a to move equipment, he almost got himself injured. But me, just opposite. I'm not learning everything by book, but I'm a handy person. See, that's why I feel everybody has different talents. And you've been able to see that. And so you've just always tried to take advantage of any, any opportunity that's come that way that fits within what you've seen that you've been able to do. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yes. I know you have, I've referenced this before, but you and your husband are, or you have three companies currently. When you started to experience and build wealth, not necessarily wealth compared to $1 a day or a month, the way that you describe when you grew up, but you know, wealth from owning three different companies out of Atlanta. Were you ever scared about losing it and therefore not taking risks? No, I'm never afraid of losing my business. I always believe giving back to my community. So in 19, in year 2000, I followed my husband's steps and we had built a nonprofit school where we teaching hundreds of people self-healing techniques. And every year, our business donate more than half million dollars to this nonprofit school to helping the communities. So I believe a good quality human life, you as individually like me, I'm willing to give it back to my community, to give it back to the society, give it back to the United States, or give it back to my hometown. Were you scared about losing the $4,000, the only money you had when you started your company? No. Why not? I feel I have nothing to lose. $3,000, that's fine. If I lose it, I can make it. By what? Making it again or going and getting a job? Yes. Because there are so many jobs on the market. You work hard, people will pay you more. Could you go back and get a job after you've worked for yourself for so many years? Yes. I think I can even get a better job because when I get interviewed, I will do everything from owners, from the CEO, from that perspective. I will be on his shoes thinking, if I were him, what I want from me. Would that bother you from an ego standpoint? No. I've wondered that about myself. I respect that. I started all my life. I started from a very low end. I have nothing to lose. My husband says the same way. He says, Sandra, eventually, if we were poor again, we'll live it again. There's a true abundance mindset. Is that what you're saying? Yes. If you have a face, I always believe a lot of people give up the face, give up the hope, give us courage, give up themselves. To the end, it is our individual who does not want to try hard enough. Nobody give us up. It's ourselves. 
How have y'all managed your own income or your own balance sheet? You being a an owner, have you lived very disciplined in a very disciplined way financially? Yes. You've always put away money, and when you're making decisions within your business, you're being as disciplined as you possibly can. Is that true? That's true. Every Chinese family, when they make hundred dollars, they're gonna save fifty dollars in the bank account. So I have a friend who works in the Federal Reserve Bank. He told me, he says, Sandra, to be very honestly, when you check the bank account balance, if the last name is XING, ZHING, or YING, their balance is pretty high. Because <laughs> <laughs> for a traditional Chinese family, again, we make $100, we're going to save up 50 Same thing as my business. Believe it or not, my three business, we have only loaned the money once. And I didn't know that I cannot pay off the loan. That was my first building. <laughs> I signed this agreement. I can't pay it off. And all the other things, we paid off right away. So mm. currently, we are debt free. We do not own any money. Well, actually, it was wrong. We just closed our building. Uh, we just got a loan. Oh, we just got a loan. Yeah. Uh, but that's the only thing. And also, as you said, financially, we are very disciplined. Uh, we have money, but we don't spend it as what we call a luxury. We have regular uh, middle-class house. We don't live in high-end, a million and a half, $2 million house. Our house is like a $350,000. The only luxury vehicle I have is a Tesla. And we don't, I don't like jewelry. I don't do makeups. And uh, we don't go out eat every day. Uh, it's pretty much home cooking. Uh, we travel, but we don't travel that much, spending a lot of money. So we have very common family life. Uh, we spend a lot of time with mom, with family. For Asia people, respecting, take care of the parents is number one important thing. So we live with my mother and my dad for 20, for 30 years in the same household. They live with you. Yes. And also my husband and mom, we bought, we bought her a house um, in the same subdivision. What's that like now, given the fact that I read that it was a very special moment for you when you were a teenager and you bought your mom her first birthday cake. And now your mom and dad live with you. You bought a house for your mother-in-law, all this opportunity. What's that feel like now? I feel I'm so proud. And I feel I can take care of my mom because she, my dad, and my mother-in-law, because they're taking care of us when we were little. That's called the paying back to your mom and dad. When they can't move that well, when they cannot talk well, it is our children's job to pay their expenses if we can, to take care of them, to be with them. To me and my husband, it's a simple job. We need to do it. Was there ever a moment in any of your businesses where you thought you might not make it? Yes. There's a moment at REM businesses. It was so hard the first year. This is uh, the restaurant equipment manufacturing company that you started first. Yes. Uh, I was not able to hire any employees. The second year I hired my mom, I did not pay her. My mom did working for me for free. <laughs> Every other day, I had bad dreams that I was not able to pay the rent. 
And it will scare me. And I have, every month my goal is I have to make extra money to save it for next month. And that nightmare goes for eight months. Why was it so hard? Was it sales? Was it losing clients? Was it not being able to get equipment that you were trying to sell? What were the challenges that made it so hard? The biggest challenge is the cash flow. I did not have the money to buy extra stuff sitting on my showroom. All I was doing to is the sale and the keeping promise and the customer, providing them all the services I can. And even some big account that come to me, I need to pay their stuff, deliver it to me before I can deliver it to the customer. And I didn't have a term. It means everything I purchase, I have to pay the cash. COD, because you had no credit and Correct. banks didn't give you operating capital or lines of credit. So wow. you were operating probably off of thin margins to begin with, but then you were having to pay deposits for things and then getting paid late, nets 30, net 60, whatever it might be. So just from a cash flow standpoint, you were totally put in a bad position. Is that fair? Very fair. Where if you were maybe me, it might have been easier. Not it might have been. It would have been a lot easier to get credit or working capital to do it. And so you, there's a headwind there that you had to push in experience that made it incredibly challenging. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. Everywhere I go, the first question they ask me, how many... How many years you have been in business? So if I tell them, says, I just started my business. So 99%, 99% of vendors would tell me, say, sorry, we can't give you credit. You have no credit. You have to be COD'd. If you took 100 people, how many people do you think are stubborn enough to go through what you went through there? Not, not even everything else up to this point, but just that to actually make it. Uh, I think 1%. One out of 100? Yes. So I read that only 10% of entrepreneurs are immigrants. I don't know if that's true. That needs to be fact-checked. I mean, I found that through my research prior. Also, there's roughly 600 and some odd thousand of new businesses that start every year and 500 and something, some odd thousand that close every year. So I guess to, to put this in context, to start a business to only have the relationships that you had from the company that you had been with, to have no other resources or contacts outside of that, and then to have no credit, no financial capital whatsoever. It's truly remarkable that you're able even to get past year one. Thank you. It was hard. If you let me try to memorize what I went through, I have a blister on my mouth. I constantly lose the voice because I worry so much. I was not able to sleep good. At that time, my sleeping was only five hours a day. And I lost my uh, period. The first eight months, my period just stopped. Really? Just so yeah. much stress. So much stress. I worry so much. Where's the money? Even though I'm determined I'm going to keep going. But reality is cash, cash, cash. Every day I'm dreaming about the cash. But you had to choose to do that, to go start that company, not even to mention all the work or everything you've done up to that point, with completely in the, on the unknown and then put your life savings on the line and really only have, after the initial investment you made, plus maybe a month of rent, you had no guarantee of the future. That's true. 
Sheesh. What did you do right or what did you do well in the restaurant supply or other wholesale furniture in either of these two companies? What did you do right that gave you opportunity and growth to actually not just build one company and grow it, but then also give you the the ability and the income and the profit to build a second one? Uh, one of the most successful turnaround, the point is I started used restaurant supply company. And uh, that's the turning point. Before, I, it never came to me. I need to sell used restaurant equipment. And one day I overheard one of my customers talk about it. And he says he's going to be the job. So I said, what are you trying to do? What kind of job are you talking about? He said, there's Premier Mall. There are three restaurants shut it down. And the Premier Mall building whatever the the landlord trying to sell the equipment because they own the money. He says, hey, Sandra, why don't you give it a try? I say, yeah, why not? So I went to the Premier Mall. I inspected all the three restaurants and I gave a bid for $8,500 for the bid. I didn't have that much money, but... Because I already saw what kind of equipment they have it. In my imagination, I would pay them $1,000 deposit. I will bring the equipment back. I'm going to wash it, clean it, make it beauty, and sell it right on the spot. I can quickly make a turnover. So I made that decision, and I make the bet. And later on, find out I beat the highest money. Everybody else beating for $5,000. I beat for $8,500. But you didn't have to pay it up front. They gave you terms. Yes. And then you sold the inventory before you owed that money. Yes, that was the time I quickly turned it over and sold equipment within seven days. It was so fast because I, I make I, I work at night. I wash them. I polish them. I make it so beautiful. How much did you sell all that for? Oh my gosh, I think I made it at least um, uh, sales about thirty thousand over the thirty thousand and minus the expenses. At least I made extra fifteen thousand dollars within a week. Hmm. And that, that's when you started American Table and Seating? No, that started making me decided to go more on used equipment. For the restaurant industry. For the restaurant industry. And that's the turnover time for um, my business, really kicking after eight months. And then we started to build up cash quickly. So once again, there's this opportunity that someone else mentioned to you to buy all this equipment from a mall that defaulted on their payments. You didn't even have the money. You bought it. You just thought that you could turn it faster than what you, when you would need to pay them by. And then that's when you were able to see this opportunity buying discounted used equipment and then turn around selling it used, but selling it at a better margin. And that's what really helps you start to really grow and scale this company. Is that correct? Correct. Do you sell equipment all around the country or is it mostly just in the southeast just in actually in atlanta area is there anything else from a from your principles or from your perspective that you've learned that being coming here from china speaking very little english studying it at georgia state talking about being a female but being in the industry for this long and building you know these different companies, is there anything else, any other main principles or perspective that you have that matters and that 
build relationships and also create success in the marketplace that you feel that you could take to any industry or anything? I always believe first to be honest. I'm a very honest person. Second is respect. I always respect everybody around me, including my customer, including my vendor, including my employees. Third is responsibilities. I always do what I need to do. And I always keep my word. I don't overpromising. I do not lie to people. To the end, I always believe giving back to the community, giving back to the society is what I have to do. So those values have helped you build what you built here. Correct. And build these companies. Yes. And um, talking about honesty, respection, and responsibilities, um, I have currently about 60 employees. Believe it or not, more than 40 of them has been working with me for 15 and 20 years. For a small company, will we have it? Why they do that? Why does the employee stay with me? Am I paying them the highest money? No. I have this dream. I want to treat people fairly. I want to respect them. So I think I did that very successfully. Today, because of COVID, some business shut it down here and there. But you know what? None of my employees left me because of COVID. I did not lay off any employee during year 2019, 2020. Were you losing money? No, you know what? <laughs> our company, our sales grown 60%. We did not lose money. Can you share how much money your sales are? Um, last year, uh, my son should have a better number. Um, I don't know. There's eight figures. I don't know how to say that number. <laughs> it's like 10 million? Yes. Over than 10 million. Okay. For one businesses, we have other two businesses. For one business, ten million. Yeah. Ain't bad coming here with fifty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I always believe when you give it back, you being fair, you being honest, you being a, any human being. Everybody can make it. Everybody worried. My top management always saying, "Sandra, you need lay off people because COVID." I says no. I'm not going to lay off anybody. Actually, in our company, we promise an employee company is going to pay you up to six weeks pay without working. For severance or what? For Because our company shut it down for about six weeks. Because I got you. COVID. Okay. So we did not lay them off and we continue to pay everybody. Well, you know, there's times in my life where I've done that right. And there's times in my life where I've done that wrong. And it's uh, powerful. A, your whole story is powerful, but B, hearing these principles and, you know, the pressure sometimes can make you want to do things to try to protect yourself or, you know, big issues or whatever that might be. I mean, and sometimes it seems like, not sometimes, but generosity seems easier when there's an abundance, but when things are tough and tight, it's hard to stay rooted and what you believe and what your perspectives are and do the right thing. And some of the most powerful stories that I've been able to draw out and record and release on this podcast are people that have done those things, you know, when they necessarily didn't have to. And so obviously I know your business is up 60%. Obviously you've talked about one business alone is over 10 million a year. You know, uh, obviously we're not talking margins here or anything like that. It doesn't matter. But the fact just your perspective and the opportunity and these doors that open along the way 
it's fascinating and encouraging to hear the way you framed it and hear what's worked over a long period of time. Thank you. You're being very kind. Have there been any risks that you haven't taken that you wish you did? You know, all those years, um, we've been so busy. First, we try to get a cash, and then we switch to restaurant, use the restaurant equipment. Then we use the extra money, remodel to buy the stocks. And then we have to get connections through China. And then we have to open an American tape of seating manufacturing. I feel all this year, me and my husband, we be so busy every day. But so far, we have never regretted anything so far. But the only thing we cannot regret is we should have learned that we need to have a tough employee handbooks and a tough SOP, which we learn now. And we are doing that this year. <laughs> I hear you. Chaos. It's always hard for an entrepreneur. Yep. Do you all manufacture your equipment or furniture or any of your products in China? Uh, we did not have our own factory in China, but we do have vendors. We've been worked for years. We get in furnitures, we get in equipment, we get in China wares, we get in smaller wares through China. That's not our own factory. So are there specific advantages that you have being from China and living here now and then importing products that you're purchasing, et cetera, versus what somebody else here in the United States may or may not have? First, I speak Chinese. We understand how Chinese people run their businesses. And it's easier for us to make communication. And they will trust us more, probably. For example, I have some contact, which would never happen, that we still have terms, means you don't have to pay deposit. And you just wait until your shipment arrived, you pay them balance. Is that happening to everybody? No. But it happened to me. Is there anything else? I think, again, is the honest respect. When we have problems, we don't drive our vendor crazy. We don't tell them, says, hey, you made this mistake. I'm going to deduct $100. I need to deduct $5,000. I need to deduct all the fucking containers. I would never do that. I told my accounts payable, we all make mistakes. Let's pay our bill. We're very nicely talking to our vendor, saying, hey, you make a mistake. This whole container merchandise was in bad quality. But I'm not going to not to pay you. I will still pay you. Please get me the replacement. And you said you're still going to pay the bill, but yes. you're going to tell them to send you the right equipment so there's that trust there or you're playing the long game and versus where maybe other people might say, I'm not paying this or whatever. Yes. And I believe... That kind of quality make my vendors wants to work with me for long, long, long term. And the reputation is so important. When you be honest, when you do what you said, people will give it back. Most of people, okay? I'm not saying everybody. That's one of the qualities. Our shipment much quickly than other people. Connections that will introduce us to another vendor saying, okay, because Sandra's, they're always paying bill good. They never delay the payment. You probably should work with her. I've read that you've written about talking about marriage. When you understand each other's strengths, understand each other's passions, and learned how to support one another, we cared for one another. I'm just curious, when you think about you know, being on your second marriage or 
going through these things from a business standpoint, entrepreneurship, thinking about your family, is there anything that you can speak to to where if you have that in your marriage versus when you don't have that and that how that affects your daily life? Well, to me, I adore my husband. He is my, he's my man. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I learned through the marriage, through the work, and um, we are together every day. We are inseparable. It means even though we're driving, he holds my hand. We will walk with Hills Hand. And uh, me and my husband, we are well known in our local community. Everybody see us holding a hand. And we never fight. We play tennis together. We eat together. We drink together. We go to work together. I mean, so many people ask me, Sandra, are you ever get bored? I said, no. <laughs> That's why. I says, we love this partnership at business. We love a partnership at home. It's all about honesty again trust, responsibilities. And even though I'm a strong woman, but I always listen to him. When we have an argument, you know, we don't have many. If we do, we always tell each other, let's step down. Let's go different rooms, think about it. Let's know the fight. Because fight, when you, if somebody get angry, fight is just destroying a relationship, the harmony relationship. So we learn to back off and coming back and talk about it before we go to bed. We don't let problem existing until we go to bed together and still fight. Now, our solution is let's talk about it at end of the day and finish up. And there's nothing we cannot talk about it. There's always a solution. And in my family, we are very traditional family. My family is man is head of household, even though I'm businesswoman. I, to my family, that's the system. That's the order. Almost like in the business. My husband is always the owner. I'm the owner too. So there's a, a chain of a command. I feel because I follow that and there's not too much argument going on. So in family, I, I can only speak for myself. Some people think and say, Sandra, why you always listen to your husband? I says, why you always fight with your husband? <laughs> It doesn't make sense. Do you love him? He says, she said, yes, I do. I said, why fight? She said, why not fight? I said, listen, honey, if you really want a good relationship, can you listen more instead of argue? I'm only speaking for myself. Right. I think we have a good marriage. We are both in good health. Our son also benefits. So many people don't understand it. When you fight, I'm talking about husband and wife or male and female fight in for kids. It's hurting the children so much. It gave them the nightmares. Have you ever thought about what would have happened if you didn't get sponsored by your aunt to come to the United States? Oh, I would stay in the small villages. My parents would stay in the villages for the rest of our life. I would be end up like a regular farmer girl, probably just marry local people and stay there. Working in the field? Yes. Would you have liked that life? I don't know. <laughs> never try. <laughs> you never lived it. No, I could be enjoying it because naturally I'm always happy person. I'm always happy with what I have. But you wouldn't have gotten educated either. Oh, of course. Did you graduate from Georgia State? No. Funny story is my, I choose the computer information system 
Yeah. And I realized that, you know, at that time, all the Asia people choose that field because we were supposed to be well known as a math, physics, chemistry. And you know what? My brain is not really programming. And all I learned is go to the lab, turn on the computer and turn it off. <laughs> so I have three, four more classes to go, which is C++ and programming or language, something which I never get it. So I chose the wrong field. I chose the wrong major. I should do the business instead of computer information system. How do you see your industry, any of these companies that you have, how do you see them changing over the next decade or so? Oh, my gosh. I think the number one problem is employees' problem. Less experienced salespeople is going to be able to help individual restaurant owners. And I'm so worried because... I'm almost in the time that you'll see an experienced, professional sales people from different restaurant supply company. And those experienced salespeople are getting less and less and less. And it means less people would understand a piece of equipment compared to 20 years ago. Because technology, people trying to push everybody to use yes. technology. So then it's going to squeeze out the people that actually know that have these decades of experience and provide the service. So then, and then because less people are getting into it and also potentially less people are, have the same kind of work ethic as maybe the previous generation or generations, there's going to be less expertise in helping people solve problems real time. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So what happens? People just continue to buy more and more things through automation and technology, and there's going to be less customization and service to take care of people? Yes. Any other effects to your work? I mean, or will y'all just sell everything online? We are very few companies has not started selling online. We have physical stores. We have those entrepreneurs come to my store every day. Our biggest customer are Spanish-speaking groups, minority groups. And so that gives you an advantage? Yes, that's an advantage. We have very clean public showroom and customer, we have lots of in stock. It's very clean. It's very bright, very organized. So customer able to walk in, grab the stuff. You know, how many times I hear appreciation from customers saying, I'm so happy you guys here. Most of people selling online, but I can come in, I can feel it, a spatula, I can feel the knife, I can try it out, I can know if this is working. If it's not working, I, ha- I can have a return. I mean, they appreciate us still having a physical store those days. What do you think the future is for the United States economy and opportunity based off of what our conversation that we've had thus far? I should ask the question to my husband. <laughs> I don't know how to answer you, honestly. I'm just worried. That's all. And especially, I guess, are you also saying because of from education or from upbringing and values and all these things, it's, it's when you get to the root of it and pull the thread, it concerns you? Yes. And are you saying because of previous generations and how they were raised with a different value structure and things like that and how that exposes itself in the workforce and the day-to-day environment. Yes. Those people are retiring or leaving or whatever, and, and that's affecting the things that you're saying? Yes. The biggest uh, concern I have it is 
Children does not listen to the parents. As parents, we always want to give the best to our kids. If school doesn't teach our children about value, business, you can you are limited. Who's going to teach our generation? I mean, if our expertise cannot pass, I don't even know what to do. So what we expect our kids to learn, throw them into the environment, and then they failed, they're crying, and they won't listen to parents. They still listen to their friends, and all the friends pretty much the same. What's our job as parents? You know, I'm worried. Our, my expertise or my, our expertise is can't pass in through. So, I mean, I'm just one of the families. So look at America, look at the whole world. How many families are they? If yeah. all the world teaching our kids not to listen to the parents, I don't know what we can do. I mean, school is school, but parents need to hold the responsibility of teaching our kids. We're passing our knowledge to the kids, but society is not doing that. The whole world is trying to tell the, teach kids not to listen to their parents. Do your own things. Be happy. I mean, I want to be happy. <laughs> you really just have a happy? I read a very interesting um, notes from one of my family for playing tennis, and he read this long messages. He says, my time, his time, same, he's the same age as I am. We eat vegetable from the garden. We cook. It's pretty much home cooked. Our parents' word are the law. We were teach to behave at school. We have to show up school every day. That's called discipline. At night, we have to have dinner table with parents. There's no such a thing as cell phone at that time. Parents' word are the law. Is that still the fact, the truth to this world? No way. Parents' word are trash. You try to behave the kids, you'll be punished. I mean, I don't know where it's disappointing. So he made the comments on the Facebook. I see so many my generation people respond, says, oh my gosh, I can't imagine. Yes, you speak the truth for me. We were all growing in 1960, 1950s. It's not far away. Am I worried? Oh, yes. I worry to death. So you're saying... Regardless of technology and screens and convenience, there's certain things that have stood the test of time. And these are some of the things that have stood the test of time. And if they don't exist, it creates consequences for the next generation. And that manifests itself through the person's own self, their own life, their own choices, but then also to the society as a whole that everyone's a part of. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Last question I have, what brings you the most joy now? The fact that you came to the United States at 21 with $50, your parents spent all their money they had, $500. Now you've got three companies. Your life has evolved into quite the story. At this stage of your life with your husband, what brings you the most joy over the next 10, 15, 20 years? What are you most looking forward to? First, I'm looking forward to my next 20 years to be as young as today. <laughs> I'm hoping that I'm not going to be sick like most of old people. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I enjoy doing the most today is teaching people how to do whole body prayer, how to stay healthy physically, mentally, 
spiritually. In other words, I want to give in my successful story, or if everybody's thinking that way, that how to be a strong, we need to take care of ourselves. We need to learn to take care of others. We need to we need have the respect. And to me and my husband, our physical body is the most important thing in our life. But I have seen so many people abusing our physical body. So the things I enjoy the most right now is able to use the money I earned and to give it back to the society and tell them what is the healthy lifestyle. That's powerful. I'm grateful that I came across you. I'm grateful that you wanted to join me this afternoon. I loved reading your book. I'll share that in the show notes when I release this. And uh, it's been a true pleasure being with you and uh, understanding your story and sharing this publicly on this podcast. Thank you, Sam. Hey, everybody. Since you've made it this far in the show, I wanted to share with you something that you may love. A few months ago, I was asked to interview a close friend's grandmother who's in her 90s. She lives outside of the United States, and this is a way to get to the heart of her and capture her life in a way that could stay with the family for generations to come. This interview was an absolute blast, and it brought tremendous joy and value to this family. Since then, I started doing this for others. If you have someone you love or know of someone whose story and life you'd love to capture in an interview, go to mystorytold.org to learn more. My team and I would love to discuss this with you further. Finally, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Driven By Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review. Please subscribe to the show and you can follow me on social, on Twitter and Instagram to join me for future episodes of the Driven By Podcast. Hope you have a great week and see you next time.